0: Well, good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the inaugural public lecture of the Kuwait Program for Development, Governance, and Globalization in the Gulf States. Uh, This is a major 10-year research program which uh, was signed between the Kuwait Foundation for Advancement of Science and uh, the LSE uh, in the summer of 2007, and the program got underway up and running, really, this academic year. So we're delighted to have our inaugural public lecture tonight And we're honored to welcome His Excellency Abdullah Bashara to speak on democracy in Kuwait and its effects on the Gulf. Um, Ambassador Bashara has had a long and fascinating career. He studied diplomacy and international relations at Balliol College, Oxford, and political science at St. John's College in New York, St. John's University in New York, before entering the Kuwait diplomatic service in 1963. Between 1964 and 1971, he served as Director of the Office of the Minister of Foreign Affairs in Kuwait, and this was followed by ten years as Kuwait's permanent representative to the United Nations, from 1971 to 1981, the final two years of which were spent as President of the UN Security Council. In May 1981, the Gulf Cooperation Council was established, bringing together the six regional states of Bahrain, Kuwait. Oman, Qatar, Saudi Arabia, and the United Arab Emirates, and he became its first Secretary General, a position which he held until 1993. This period witnessed important early developments towards economic integration with the passage of the Unified Economic Agreement in 1983. It also covered the traumatic period of the Iraqi invasion and occupation of Kuwait in 1990, and the Madrid Peace Conference in 1991, at which he represented the TCC. Since 1993, he's been active in publishing, lecturing, and writing, and is the president of the Diplomatic Center for Strategic Studies in Kuwait City. Before we begin, I should say that this event is being recorded, and that we hope that the podcast will be made available online at the LSE events website. Your Excellency, the floor is yours.
1: Thank you very much. Uh, I'm very happy to be here. I, uh, I extend a, a sincere thanks to the you know, London School of Economics, to the program on Kuwait, to Professor suggestion to all of you for coming, for preparing, organizing, and coming. And I uh, like to tell you that uh, uh, I will uh, I will give you a a story, a narration, and then uh, from there we we move to democracy in Kuwait and it's effect on the Gulf, positive or negative. Uh, I remember I uh, Last time I was uh, I was speaking to a group in New York uh, 2 years ago on uh, on something called the agony of the weak uh, the pain of small states and I uh, I spoke to the juries, to the bar association of New York and uh, the man who introduced me told me was a very distinguished that you speak for twenty minutes. If you go beyond, I will give you a ticket. If you if you continue, I will tow you away. I am very happy that I am given forty five minutes in the for to speak on a very the narrative what I call the narrative of Kuwait. And the narrative of Kuwait uh, is is a story of pain and joy. It's a story of hard diplomacy and soft diplomacy. It's a story of the success of the hard and the failure of the soft. If you look around, and I I am very grateful that there is a map, you see where the map of Kuwait and the borders with Iraq. And and the borders between Kuwait and Iraq is a legacy, uh, the most unpleasant legacy of Britain. In uh, 1923, the ruler of Kuwait and a high commissioner in, in Baghdad, a man called Sir Percy Cox, they exchanged a letter defining the borders between Iraq and Kuwait. This definition, the exchange of the letter, was reconfirmed in 1932. But 1932 is 1932. British mandate or the the mandate power which was mandated by the League of Nations to Britain to oversee the affairs of Iraq came to an end. From 1923 to 1932, the British had the priority of Iraqi issues and would say with little or limited Concern for Kuwaiti agenda. In fact, when the ruler of Kuwait fixed a, a mark between Iraqi borders and uh, and the Kuwaiti borders, the with the uh, with the British political agent, they went together in a car and they fixed that, the mark. Immediately after that, the Iraqi police removed the mark and dumped the whole hole which was uh, dug there for for the mark. From 1932 to the 1990 that was the agony of Kuwait with its borders. Some countries, I uh, would say, some nations, some countries are blessed, I think Britain is blessed by geography. Some are maligned and pained by their geography. And I think that Kuwait geography was a malignant to its life. It was maligned because they it's the neighbor, the Iraqi, uh, the government of Iraq at that time, now 1932 until 90, maybe, they did not resign themselves to the reality of the borders of the, de- the British left in 1932 with the border defined, but they never demarcated. And every time the ruler of Kuwait asked the British for the demarc- final demarcation, the British found uh, excuses. So much so that the the ruler of Kuwait was dissatisfied with the process and with the attention and with the concern on the borders. As you know, in the, from 19, in the, the first, the first really uh, relation, the solid relation between Kuwait and Britain started in 1899. From 1899 to 1961, so the span of seven decades, almost six decades, the Britain defended Kuwait from the Incursions by the Iraqi regime, and from 19 fact, 1901 and 1920, in 1928, 1961, and 1990, British British forces and Britain rescued uh, Kuwait from Iraq. As you know, in the in 1961, Kuwait obtained its independence. That in, immediately after that, a new a new phase in Kuwaiti life emerged. It's a phase of what we call the Arabization of Kuwait diplomacy, when the British they decided that the the British British presence had to come an end in 1971. From 1961. Kuwait obtained its independence and with that a claim for the first time a formal claim by the government of Iraq over the the whole of of Kuwait as a part of Iraq and that claim triggered a, a crisis and it's a crisis that created the scars in Kuwait's psychology in another way in the, the geography of Kuwait created and built what we call the contours of Kuwait personality. It's not the, it's not the normal uh, geography in which people and nations find comfort. It's a geography in which Kuwait found, I would say, discomfort and found pain and discovered blackmail and survived with bullying tactics in 1961 the ruler of Kuwait with with the independence decided that a new phase has to start and a new approach has to be adopted and he said two things first the diplomacy of Kuwait which came with independence should be pan-Arab should be Arabized, should be, and the comfort and the discomfort of Iraq should be should come to a comfort in, within the framework of Arab League and Arab diplomacy. And then he, he the ruler of Kuwait, a foresighted man who passed away in 1965, thought that it is we ha- he had to move from what we call constitution from. Uh, historical legitimacy to constitutional legitimacy. So he called in Kuwaiti notables and decided to draft a constitution in 1962 for the first constitution in the Gulf was adopted and endorsed by the ruler of Kuwait and consequently elections. ...took place in 1962, and the first parliament in the history of the Gauss emerged in Kuwait, in the city of Kuwait. With that, with that the Kuwait moved to a democratic life, to an Arabized diplomacy, to a, a, a shift from hard diplomacy, which the British displayed, to soft diplomacy which the Kuwaitis have to handle in order to survive within uh, an atmosphere of threats, blackmail, intimidation, and destabilization. In 1962, with the emergence of the Constitution and the election, uh, the ruler of Kuwait found that in the constitutional legitimacy there is consensus. And in fact, the power power of of Kuwait is this constitutional consensus to which there is total loyalty and in which there is total faith. In 1965, the ruler of Kuwait passed away. Another ruler ruler, took over. In the middle of the 60s, there is a big change in the democratic structure of Kuwait. So in Kuwait, Kuwait is a country which suffered from geography and it has pleasant geology and very unhelpful demography. In other words, the the ruler of Kuwait found out that there must be a marriage between this, the, the what we call the blessing, the joy of wealth, the joy of geology, and the uh, and the soft diplomacy, which became the principal, the major principle, and the guideline for Kuwait diplomatic activities, and in that, consequently, they established what we call the Kuwaiti program for economic assistance to Arab nations, to all Arab countries. And well, earlier I was talking to some uh, student from Morocco and I told him I just came from Morocco and we drove from Marrakesh to the city of Casablanca on a road built by Kuwait. And we drank from the dam in Marrakesh, which was built by Kuwait. And this it goes on and all with this or pan-Arab manifestation of goodwill and sense of cooperation. In the with the demographic changes of Kuwait in 1967, around 67, the with the population, the influx of foreigners, the naturalization, they accepted the jump in the number of the Kuwaitis from quarter of a million to almost. 800,000 to today 1 million point 2 this is a not only a demographic change but also a change in the ethos the, in, we, when we talk about the present democratic structure of Kuwait it's built on in the in in
2: in in a way it
1: was tailored for the for For the early 60s, democracy of Kuwait suffers today from the fact that it was tailored for 1962. And today, the demographic structure of Kuwait, the constitution of the population of Kuwait is is, uh, different from uh, not only in number, uh, and also in uh, what we call an ethos, uh, in perceptions, In the the present parliament of Kuwait, the government, as was the case with the previous um, parliament, the government doesn't enjoy majority. Democracy is based, to work, to be effective, is based on majority for the government. It's always here and in Europe parliaments and the governments are one, and the governments rule the majority and rule the, the parliament, and the parliament a, a parliament a government which has no power on the parliament is a hung government is a paralyzed, and with the case with Kuwait now it uh, suffers from paralysis So it is In a nutshell, I would say, Kuwait suffered from the adversity of the geography, the joy of geology, the, I would say, the paralysis of democracy. And the paralysis due to the the majority of the electorates are tribal oriented. The ethos of the tribe, and their Tradition of the tribe and the clannish identity of the of the electorate ruled supreme, and the, the consequently the the paralysis permeated and pervaded the political scene, and consequently, and, as, and thus we have the, the what we call a paralyzed democracy, and the complaint in Kuwait that Kuwait is not. And, and uh, the pace in progress in the social and economic uh, in Kuwait is not as satisfactory as was the case in the early 60s when Kuwait emerged uh, as an independent country. All this these facts that a paralyzed democracy, electorate, uh, tribal with ethos and with loyalty to the tribe, in the absence of parties, definitely, the, the identity goes to the clinicians and to the family and to the tribe and beyond that association. It is this identification between the electorate, between the politicians and their tribe in the absence of the parties. In Kuwait, Kuwait constitution does not enable uh, politicians to, to uh, establish and set up parties. And so the, in, the, in the the option, in the absence of parties, the option is the tribal, clannish, family, association, sympathizers. And uh, it doesn't work. A democracy without parties, without clear-cut definition of what we call the rather... The domain of the government and the domain uh, of the of the parliament does not work in, in Kuwait. There is no the divide between the right of the parliament and the right of the government is lost. Who and who follows this? It's in the Gulf. People in the Gulf they watch what goes on in Kuwait. They watch the paralysis and they watch the the. The, the inability of the government to legislate and the inability of the government to pass easily through uh, through the parliament uh, essential laws and uh, and urgent laws, the, there is the, there is a pause in the in the Gulf as to how they how they proceed down in the Gulf. There is, te- there is desire for adjustment. There is desire for progress. There is a, a will for change. But there is a big debate also about what kind of formula, what kind of prescription, what kind of uh, structure the Gulf state could adopt. The Kuwaiti style, it proved to them that it's not, it's contrary to the pace, to the interest, contrary to the, to the cohesion of the society. What do they thought? Well, If you look around in Bahrain, they have two chambers to balance. They have two parli- parliament elected and another chamber selected in order to create a balance. In Qatar, they talk about democratization, but haven't taken any step to implement democratization. And so is the case in, in UAE and in Oman and in Saudi Arabia. All these Saudi Arabia and Oman and UAE, they have advisory uh, assemblies. The advisory parliament, not elected, with with restricted power. Uh, they 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 see what they've seen in Kuwait. And they see they also the effect of the freedom of speeches and freedom of expression in Kuwait. And in Kuwait uh, there are uh, in the more less than 22 dailies, 19 in Arabic and uh, three in English, so much so that uh, this uh, this huge uh, outflow of uh, of press and papers uh, has created uh, has created an area for anybody who who can write anything can be published. In the they wrote, the Gulf states saw so, that freedom of speech if it's not um, at least within uh, within confines and within certain lines it creates negative results, bring about negative results. They also saw in the Gulf the power of the NGOs and Kuwait. The NGOs are expression of public opinion public opinion of Kuwait is very dynamic and very uh, uh, frank, candid and forceful. They, it is the product of the parliament. In the down the gulf they do the watch that the NGOs in Kuwait are so effective and so noisy and so uh, uh, initiate, initiating that uh, they, they know the democracy is a package freedom of speech, uh, NGOs, supremacy of law, power of citizenship, principle of equality. This is a list which they, uh, is not easy to, to implement in societies which are um, still have traditional uh, culture and tribal structure. Well. Would, the, would they be a, a democracy in Kuwait and then down the Gulf? My, uh, my prophecy is that uh, it's not uh, around, it's not uh, reachable in the, in the future, it's not in the near future. I don't think that the, the Gulf states wouldn't see democracy in the next five, 10 years the Kuwaiti experience has left its imprint on, on the psychology. Now what's why uh, Kuwait is democratic and others are not? Why Kuwait has this parliamentary system which has no parties? Why it is democracy but it is without parties? Why it is so, you know, so the what we call the imperfection of democratic practice. Well, it's uh, no doubt it's, uh, it's due to, to the geography. Geography of Kuwait uh, must, must, the imperative of Kuwait is to have a consensus. And uh, consensus of loyalty and oneness and togetherness. And uh, in 1990, when Saddam Hussein invaded Kuwait, this power of oneness and unity was so strong it was a cry against a strong cry against uh, the invasion uh, so much so that that admirably the whole the international landscape expresses admiration on this solidarity what we call the solidness of solidarity there uh, with no crack with no dent and uh, uh, it achieved a lot, this, but uh, the the uh, it's it's uh, 1990 invasion, and it's the soft soft diplomacy which Kuwait adopted uh, led to this invasion. Uh, the, the the withdrawal of British forces from the Gulf and uh, Kuwait le- was left without the deterrent. And uh, led to this invasion. What did the invasion le- leave behind? What did it? Well, uh, the scars of invasion are indelible. They are. They cannot be removed. They are deep in the psychology of of the nation of Kuwait. What is the uh, what what what's the interpretation of the scar? These scars of well. And you, I remember in 1962, I was in England here in the, in the college, and I was reading De Gaulle, De Gaulle decision to withdraw from, from NATO, and De Gaulle insisted that he must have the deterrent, the nuclear deterrent, separate from the Americans or Europeans. And I, uh, I, had, I attributed that to the psychology, the scar, of invasion, which they, and the affliction of invasion, which the French went to, went through either by in the German, the modern German of this century, or the modern, or the old German of 1870. And this, similarly, the scars of invasion, and the psychology, and the disorientation will remain with the Kuwaitis for a long time. And they so much so that now there is the consensus, there must be a defender of Kuwait. There must be a deterrent. There is no more, there is a revival of what we call hard diplomacy, gunboat diplomacy, if you like. In uh, 1899 until 61, Kuwait survived on gunboat diplomacy, British gunboat diplomacy. In 1990, Kuwait was liberated by international gunboat diplomacy. And and from that time, the Gulf uh, has become so adjusted to the reality that it needs defense. It needs a protector. It needs a friend, an ally. And uh, consequently, all member states of the GCC, they signed the uh, pact military agreement with the United States and with Britain. On the the understanding, based on the understanding that the Gulf stability is indivisible from the welfare of mankind and from the economic uh, health of the international community and from the prosperity of all nations. The Gulf is strategic. The Gulf produces 65% of oil. 55% is produced by GCC countries. The stability of the GCC countries is a demand for of, of, of the international com- community. It's a must for the tranquility of the world economy and the flow of trade among nations. And it is an imperative to ensure the stability of that strategic area in NEC. And so a coalition of understanding and, interna- and international consensus emerged after 1990 that the Gulf is an international deposit. It's a trust that should be protected in the United States uh, the United States presence in the Gulf is backed by an international consensus and it is understood now within the UN and outside it, within the region and beyond, that this Gulf must remain stable and that the voice and the power and the instrument of the United States and uh, the GCC are the representative of the international community to ensure that stability. Now, what's, uh, who who uh, threatens the Gulf? Why the Gulf? Well, why the Gulf is so all the time the colored and invaded by the, by this uncertainty? Why uncertainty looms large? in the Gulf, simply because of radical neighbors. In, uh, from 1958, with the downfall of monarchy in Baghdad to 19, to 2003 with the downfall of Saddam Hussein, the ideologic Iraq was a threat to this region. The pan and the jingoism, the chauvinism, of that Ba'ath party was a threat to its neighbor, and particularly to Kuwait. Uh, it's uh, the concept expansionistic Iraq, the concept of supremacy of Iraq, of regional privileges uh, for Iraq, constituted a threat and, uh, and uh, provided a sense of instability in that region, with the downfall Of uh, Saddam saying, "What do you want? You ask me. What do you?" As a Kuwaiti, as a man who lived in this, uh, through the hard diplomacy and the soft diplomacy, through uh, this the Arabization of Kuwaiti defense, and uh, to the invasion, and after that, uh, the voice of uh, voice of this of an injured. Uh, invaded uh, Kuwait but what do you want from Iraq? Well, s- simply a, a normal Iraq, a non-ideological Iraq, a federal Iraq, a democratic Iraq. Iraq that is confined to its borders. Iraq that would satisfy its own needs in its defense. Iraq which is uh, a, a contributor to regional understanding and not a threat to that regional understanding. What are you? What have we done after the downfall? Of Iraq? This is the, this is now the, the agenda of the Kuwaitis to have a, a peaceful Iraq, an open door Iraq for the investment of Kuwait, for the expertise in investment, and for a building. A regional, real regional, uh, pan type of uh, of economic nature, and we hope that we will be ach- we will be achieving this. What about Iran? This is a this is a system which scares me. Iran is a very ambitious system. It's a very radical system. It's a system which has a which has an agenda to destabilize regional, regional understanding and regional moderation. And what, uh, what have we done to, to contribute to this, to contain the radicalism of Iran? Well, it's, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's a dialogue. The dialogue with Iran has not come to an end. We talk to Iran we don't give up. We don't get tired. We don't fatigue from the the, the activities do with a view to moderating Iran. What uh, what is our strategy? And we will tell them, we we'll tell the United States and the West that Iran should be given incentives. What we call Iran should be given the bonus of good behavior, and the bonus we talk about bonus now about to banks and chairman of excessive bonus. Iran is waiting for an excessive bonus of for good behavior, and will that take place? I will tell you three things. I lived in America during. I was in Security Council on during the. The hostages in 1979, and um, the the action of the American people uh, from that, if so, it's it's left the same. I, I talked about scars and the wounds and the injury of Kuwait of from the invasion. Something similar to that hurt the Americans. The American pride was hurt when the hostages. And I, I was the voice in the Security Council of moderation. And the Americans tried, of course, dumb diplomacy, and they failed. Now, the, the, this, this intention of, uh, of dialogue between the United States and Iran to, to convince and persuade Iran to drop its project <coughs> on nuclear power, will that succeed? One thing I I tell you, I'm certain of, is American public opinion is not ready for a sacrifice for Iran. The hurt of the hostages is very deep. The wound has not; it's still festering. The wound of hurt is still there. Will uh, President Obama be able to overcome that? In my view, I. It's premature. Will the five plus one who negotiate to convince Iran of this good bonus, the, the list of incentives, will they succeed? I don't think so. Five, one is China, which has a different agenda, and Russia with another separate agenda, and two and three Europeans, Britain, France and Germany. And the European, I, I, I must say that, they, ha- they approach half-hearted. Their approach is half-hearted. And their proposals are half-baked. And I don't think they are enough. They don't, I don't think they will be able to give the Iranians the list of in- incentives that could satisfy a revolutionary Iran and phase it out from confrontation to cooperation, what do the Iranians? Do? I the Iranians, from my experience, are very crafty. The Iranian, the Iranian regime, the diplomats, the diplomatic, Iran diplomatic activities, very crafty, extremely so. They divide, They exploit the division among the five. They play with words. They. They use uh, expressions and vocabulary and vernacular, which is incomprehensible to a simple negotiating team. They evade, they postpone, they study, they uh, what they they call in America, filibata. And uh, will they, will the Iranians reach that day of bomb? Will they put in their basket, Iranian basket, a nuclear bomb? I have if from my observation and contacts with the Iranians, I should, I would say yes. In a few years ago in the in Kuwait University, we had we had a very close debate with the Iranians. We were six or seven Kuwaitis and four Iranians. And I tell you what I narrated, they were very candid. And they said Iran is more entitled to a nuclear arm than, than Pakistan. When Pakistan is a, a creation in 1947, it's half fictitious state. It's not a, a, the civilization that goes deep into the roots of a humanity, far in the, all the textbooks of a humanity. Iran is surrounded by 15, 14 numbers, 14 neighbors. None of them uh, has special love for Iran. They said that Russia has the biggest number of neighbors, 15. Iran has the second in the number of neighbors. No one uh, has special liking for the system of Iran. And six of these 14 numbers are nuclear: Pakistan, India, China, Russia. Israel, United States, and the Gulf, And they said, well, if that six are encircled by six nuclear teeth, 14 hostile, uh, contained with sanctions, uh, yet the, the dynamics of the revolution will continue. And the, the dynamics of the, uh, the revolution can hurt it can hurt America and Afghanistan. It can hurt and destabilize Iraq. And it's destabilizing the Middle East. They have they have they've been able to to establish not only parties but allies who came who became part, individual part of Lebanese political structure, the body politics of Lebanon. We ha- you have Hezbollah, who sits in the cabinet, and who sits in the parliament. And they have Hamas, and they have uh, the other uh, radical Palestinians. So you know, they, are, they, they succeeded in having local regional constitutional assistance, constitutional allies. They, call, they, they have allies in the, in the region and they, are, they, have no, they have no restraint over damaging. In other words, their ability to hurt is amazing, and they do it without any scruples. They are very unscrupulous when they want to hurt. Well, what's the future of the government, if that's the scenario? In the, I just came from a conference in the outside London. And we stayed for three days discussing this problem, the Gulf. There are more seminars in the world on the Gulf than on Brazil and Latin America. And for understandable reasons, it's the, it's the strategic value of the Gulf. If it is disrupted, Japan will be oil thirsty and Peru will also suffer, and Argentina will be weaker. It's this, it's the, the major, the, the, the blood supplier of the world economy. And so when we discussed three days ago the, the, what the question of security, I, uh, the, and I said it in the conference, I don't want the... I want first the GCC to move more on on its military integration. I understand that there is there is always a need for an ally United States or Britain. A reliable ally. An ally who is not reluctant when uh, the, the, the push gets into what the shuffle. And then an ally who is not afraid to bleed. An ally who would say that the Gulf is worth fighting for. And yet, yet, regional understanding must be the priority for the D.C. How and when? We will never get regional understanding as long as Iran is radical. How can we move ra- Iran from the domain of radicalism to the area of moderation? Uh, through, we, we, we failed in our political dialogue. Incentives of the world failed. There must be a serious, the only way is a serious Collective international attitude that would say to Iran in the absence of your mod- if you <coughs> don 't moderate the sanctions will be imposed sanctions will hurting sanctions, not lip service, not cosmetics but real uh, sanctions i uh, I follow the Iranian politics from from close the region and I talk to uh, the Iranians it's uh, it's this uh, problem of national glory it's as uh, I I I find uh, uh, the I was in Cuba a few years ago when when I was in in New York uh, they were proud nation. but in uh, uh, with the revolution, Iran disabled the system was able to produce people uh, who are uh, devoted to the literature of this of the Ayatollah. The politics of Iran is created by uh, by the spiritual leader and the politics of Iran and the political vocabulary uh, and the expression of Iran are revolutionary and irritating. But it, is, it reflects the, this psychological uh, glorification of Iranian civilization and Iranian ambition. Now they, call, they talk about what they call the privileges special status for Iran in the region. What kind of special status? First among equals. The it will not work. First, special privileges that reflect the size. Maybe. Privileges of for revolutionary conduct. Is damaging. Iran, Iran wants and is advocating to obtain privileges not on on its size, not on geography, but also on its on its uh, revolutionary uh, nature, on its the the system. The system should be rewarded, and uh, the reward of uh, of Iran, for Iran is not uh, uh must be within the, the reward of iran must be given offered by by international consensus on based on iran uh, uh, accommodating and observing and accepting and implementing the rules of the the enlightened rules, the the rules, the international, the ethics of international law, the ethics of good behavior, the ethics of good uh, neighborliness, this uh, the coexistence. Uh, I I have my own doubt as to the future of this dialogue between the Europeans and Iran. I have my doubts as to the uh, to the Iranian. Uh, confrontational uh, this drive drive to to extract privileges from the teeth of the international community at the expense of others is is so strong I think I have to pause here and I thank you very much
0: Well, thank you very much for a fascinating survey of the Gulf and of Kuwait and of all the problems and opportunities in the region. Uh, We have time for questions now. Uh, We have uh, roving microphones. So if you'd like to ask a question, please, could you wait until the microphone reaches you? Uh, And then could you please introduce yourself and um, keep the questions short? Um, We have a few hands, so I'll take them individually to begin with, and if we begin to run out of time, I'll group them. Uh, You, madam, in the back.
3: Uh,
2: Thank you for letting me be uh, the first person to ask a question. It's uh, it's quite a a privilege. Um, I'm interested in the issue of women and their future uh, in Kuwait and in the Gulf. Things are beginning to change, and um, I'm wondering what direction it's going to take, and what are the perspectives, the possibilities, and perhaps even the limits Thank you.
1: Okay. I, uh, I feel that uh, uh, there is a, a, a decision, uh, there is a recognition awareness by the leaders in the GCC countries that women must play a, a better role. Uh, and uh, there is a, a trend uh, which is forceful even you find it down in Qatar and in UAE there are uh, women ministers in UAE and in Oman, in Qatar and in Kuwait definitely. They, uh, it's its a, the wind of change, the, the hurricane of change in the Gulf is amazing. The, few years ago the gulf uh, what 30 years ago there was nothing in the gulf uh, if, you, if you go, i went to abu dhabi in 68 it was nothing it's just sand it's nothing now it you go it's uh, it's the most uh, it's a it's the most modern city uh, in in europe doesn't have that kind. Can em- düsseldorf cannot emulate it in greenery and luxury. Like- but you know, they all—they pass. They—they they are leaders. The leaders of the GCC, uh, whom I respect greatly, is uh, aware. They are very mature, and they are very uh, experienced, and they are prudent and wise, and they know that the women must play a role. But they have also to they take into consideration the. What we call uh, the tribal structure, the restrictions, the traditional, the handicapped, is a heritage uh, that would change not by uh, confrontation, but it will by but by uh, what we call velvet glove approach. I, I want to invite you to Kuwait and, uh, and the Gulf, and you—you you will be surprised how how the women are so uh, anxious and so uh, enthusiastic and so determined to to play a role in the society.
3: Uh, You use the word uh, paralysis. Sorry, Caterina dal oh? Um
2: You
3: use the word paralysis to describe the uh, Kuwait Parliament and the situation there, and that's a common complaint um, about the Kuwait Parliament. But um, why is this happening, um, and what is the solution? Well, is uh, it, uh, uh, thought... j- just to complete the question, is it a paralysis because there is? Um, because the Kuwait parliament is stuck in a position where it can play a rearguard action um, in relation to the Kuwait government but it cannot actually be constructive it doesn't have the power to be constructive and therefore that means there are no incentives for uh, for a unified um, uh, action on its part
1: The paralysis due to three, three factors one is the uh, parties, uh, parties ensure majority for government, and when there is no b- majority for government, we, we call it the hung parliament. Hung parliament doesn't operate; doesn't, cannot work. So, well, government which is not, which does not have a good seat in the parliament, which doesn't have majority seat in the parliament, cannot operate. The parliament in Kuwait. Uh, is not uh, a window dressing. It's a powerful legislative, and it's very jealous of its privileges. It's so so protective of its of its privileges, and it's very jealous and it wants to expand. And it uh, it has skepticism also. It's very skeptical. In other words, it's afraid of anything that would constitute a setback. So. Uh, absence of parties and majority for a government. Second is uh, the tribe, tribal domination of the, uh, of the parliament is very conservative. The conservative power of the parliament uh, has contributed to a lot of restrictions placed on uh, Kuwait. If you go to Kuwait uh, now and compare it with the down down Gulf, you will uh, be surprised why Kuwait is so. Uh, Kuwait is, doesn't have that uh, the music of the day. They it's conservative. It's really really restricted, and it's the voice of of the parliament in chasing the, uh, any 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 advent of this new modernity. Any so be it uh, in. Uh, you know the, what they call uh, the Western influence, Western, um, the vintage of the West. What is the vintage of the West? Co-education, uh, they, it's, it's not there. Uh, openness, the open, social, uh, it's, it's very difficult, the, the, this conservative power of the parliament they vote, they impose restrictions on the government, and the government has no other way either to dissolve the parliament and they have election after two months or comply. And most of the cases, they comply. I. What is the solution? Well, and that's why the Gulf fight. The Gulf people watch this experience. They are small, many of them, the elites, the, the educated want they defend the Kuwait, uh, Kuwait experiment, but uh, the they they, they they, the majority that uh, the 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 majority the sentiment of the majority is very skeptical of Kuwait experience in the Gulf. Uh, I uh, I am one of the look at books the books. Uh, they have exhibition where the book's fair, the book's fair in Kuwait. is so everything is scrutinized. Every page uh, and uh, they ban, the, they ban books. It's not that books which we used to read when, uh, when I was a young boy in Kuwait are no more. This is uh, well it's very restrictive because of the, the, the dominant power in Kuwait the force of the tri- tribal politics. Tribal politics is a, uh, is a, is a force you have to reckon with. And I, uh, how? Well, they tried, they changed the constituency, the map, the district, uh, but to know that the democratic structure of Kuwait <coughs> lends itself to tribal prevalence and supremacy in Kuwaiti politics.
0: Uh, you spoke about the um, Kuwaiti paralysis, how it's seen in the Gulf, elsewhere yes. do you think there's a danger that in Kuwait itself, people, elements within society will look at the Qatari model or the Dubai model of economic growth without political participation and call for a suspension of the political process well there is
1: exasperation no doubt, there is there is uh, discomfort, there is criticism, there is uh, a, a power, uh, there are voices that would say uh, enough is enough. Uh, the, uh, what is really, uh, what irritated the public opinion is this, the divide, the line of divide between the uh, the divide line between the uh, right of the parliament, the right of the government is lost at the expense of the government. The I everything is politicized in Kuwait. And an appointment of an ambassador, an appointment of uh, a minister, an appointment of uh, a, a tender, you give a tender, a, a bidding to companies for for the establishment or the building of a, a refinery is politicized and. Politicization uh, is, you know, it gives rise right to suspicion, and uh, and it's very, it's a mood, unhealthy mood. I, if I, uh, if, I uh, if I am a representative of an an American company, uh, they would say, well, this is why, open it to others. Uh, it's it's something which is very difficult. Uh, you in the front, please?
0: Microphone.
3: How do you think the um, impending Iran elections uh, will affect? What?
0: elections in Iran? Yeah.
3: How will they affect? Oh, Iran? the
1: elections in Iran. You know.
3: And uh, specifically, uh, Mr. Khatami's sort of uh, not as hardline international um, line on, you know, foreign policy.
1: The uh, in. Uh, you know, the President of Iran has no power over the army, over the police, over justice, over the budget, over the finance, over the intelligence. All these are the domains of the spiritual leader. And it's the spiritual leader who decide who goes on, who runs, who doesn't run. If they, uh, th- if it is left to the people, I don't think ahmadinejad would win but if it is not to the people it's the those are radical very very radical forces are really they they, they, they are they articulate the decision the political decision in the in Iran it's the, what you call them reactionary you call them radicals you call them. Uh, whatever conservative, but Ah uh, Ahmadinejad is a voice who has a lot of backing. Although there are many, the majority, the inflation is high, economy is in bad shape, sanctions are there. But uh, it's it's not the elections in the United States, or it's not say, in Japan, or you know, it's different. It's an election within. One, it's one club, one radical club, and send every few, send a new, a new member who has all the, the faith and who is able to translate, the character and personality of the of the club. So I, I really don't. It's the Ayatollah who, who decides.
0: Um, okay, I'm going to start taking them in groups now because we have quite a few questions. Uh, you in black, please. And then you in the, 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 scarf, the white scarf.
2: Um, hello, I'm um, Angela Daly. Um, I personally am very interested in the politics of the Gulf, but I know most about Saudi Arabia and the United Arab Emirates, so please forgive any ignorance on my behalf about Kuwaiti society. Um, my question is, I was wondering if you could elaborate upon the interaction between Kuwaiti democracy and Islamist politics. I mean, is there even a, an interaction at all, or are Islamists more like a rogue element of political society, like in Saudi Arabia, for instance? just Hi, my name is Jo Kent, and I'm with the LSE. Um, my question is about civil society. You mentioned in your speech that um, Kuwaiti government is trying to develop a civil society with NGOs and this type of thing. And I was just wondering if uh, the Kuwaiti government looks to other countries, other cities, as rubrics or guides to potential civil society buildup.
1: Well, uh, in uh, Kuwait Parliament, there is a very strong uh, Islamic bloc and uh, very powerful and uh, it's, uh, Kuwait is uh, was, was very generous in its openness and the Islamic uh, group took advantage of elections and ran and, uh, it's a party really, it's, uh, it's called the uh, it's called a uh, social reform society, but it's a political party, and it has five now, I think, in the parliament. It's very powerful. It has a long backing. It has a big backing. It has a long history. It is It is a power that demonstrates its support for Hamas, its support for this rest- restrictive uh, social code, of re- restrictive social code, it's powerful. It's a voice of uh, uh, which they, uh, which has uh, leaves its impact in uh, in the society of Kuwait. They are powerful behind all these uh, measures taken by Parliament to uh, uh, to make Kuwait. Conservative, they contributed to the to the to the Kuwaiti strict raw uh, code of conduct. The code of conduct of Kuwait is now is very strict and very conservative, and they are behind it. Will, will they succeed? I I, I think uh, they will. They, they are they are very powerful and then the, as an illustration of their power they are tabling now a, a, what we call a vote of no confidence in the Prime Minister and that's very, very unusual and they, uh, it, I, this is for the first time the, this political block tabled uh, a motion of no confidence in the prime minister, uh, prime minister who is the, chosen by the emir. So I, um, I, uh, I, I think, they, and they have alliances with the same group in all down the Gulf. They went, they go to uh, to KSA. They go, well, they treat this Mashal, uh, Khaled Mashal of the. Of Hamas as a as a conqueror, I, I, I this is politics. Religion and politics is very very difficult and very sensitive. And uh, it's it's very always I uh, when politics is diluted and and, and religion is introduced. It's, uh, it's very difficult. So I. I I know the power and I know their impact on the government. What's your question? I didn't hear you well. Uh,
2: My question is about a Kuwaiti civil society and you mentioned in your speech how in Kuwait the government is trying to cultivate uh, NGOs and different features of say a liberal democracy and I was wondering where Kuwait is looking to, which other states or regions it's looking at as an example of civil society, like the ideal civil society to develop in, in Kuwait.
1: The NGOs are very powerful. I, I, I felt that power when I was in America American the Security Council and your representative uh, they come to the UN and they express a voice of concern they speak for uh, better climate they speak for uh, backward banning on tobacco they speak for a better clean cars they are very they are lobby they are lobbyists. In uh, Kuwait, they are powerful. They are, of course, they are experimenting. All Kuwait, Kuwait, all of us are experimenting in, in all these facets of modern governance. But uh, I, they are powerful. Uh, they are voice, voice for the protection of the sanctity of Constitution. They know a constitution which brought good consensus for Kuwait uh, is a progressive paper document that should be kept, and I say that in the full knowledge that this exasperation and this uh, lack of comfort with the with the prevalent uh, this debate in the parliament. So they. They are there. They are not as powerful in the Dangal. It's they are the beginning. In in uh, in, in all fairness, the uh, Kuwait experience is being uh, followed with concern and followed uh, with interest. Uh, the impact it has on the Gulf is enormous. Well, uh, nobody is going to, to copy the, the life, the political life of Kuwait.
0: Um, I'll take a couple of questions here. You in the front row and then you in the corner over
3: there.
4: Uh, Zaid from the LSE. Uh, do you think that greater GCC investment within Iraq will uh, somehow help to stop Iran's uh, territorial ambitions? Uh, I'm Rahim. I'm, uh, I'm actually an ec- economist with uh, great interest um, uh, in the Gulf, what's happening in the Gulf. Your Excellency, you, went, uh, you walked us through very eloquently about the geogra- geographic, sociopolitical kind of factors that have influenced Kuwait's road to democracy or lack of it. Um, I'd like to hear from you or or I'd like to ask you whether you're one of those who subscribe to the relationship between democracy and economic development, which if I may say so I didn't hear much about. There are economists who associate the two and say democracy goes hand in hand with economic development. Now, we don't see much of that in spite of so many attempts for diversification (laughs) in the Gulf states. Do Do you think that's a valid argument? And by extension, do we need to inject more economic development in that part of the world in order to see more democracy? Thanks.
1: Uh, I, uh, the answer to the first is, the, uh, Iran, is uh, Iran doesn't have uh, any claim on Kuwait territory. Iran, Iran took three islands from UAE. Iran wants uh, a a very prestigious position in the Gulf. It wants to be in the, the unquestioned authority on Gulf politics, and uh, we uh, we talk, we try to talk Iran out of this, and uh, we try to uh, to to offer to Iran. Uh, the what we call the persuasion of the benefit of mod- moderation. In moderation, there are benefits, and we display these benefits. It's not only coexistence, but it's a economic, economic uh, and trade integration among the region and understanding. So, and uh, Iraq, I'm I'm sure we will have. A, we will pump out a lot of investment in Iraq, waiting for normalcy to, to, take, to take place and to, to be strengthened. Right? Now on the, on the second question, recently a summit conference was held in Kuwait. It's called the Economic uh, Summit for Arab integration, economic integration. It's a new order, and it's, uh, I'm very happy that it is in Kuwait. It's a new economic order in Arab politics. It is really Arab, uh, it is a, a an acknowledgement of the failure of the political order among Arab states and has to be replaced by a political economic order. And it is a choice, of trade and investment and economic integration as a substitute for as a for, as a road to Arab understanding and political rapprochement rather than the old Arab League Arab League uh, the Arab League style Arab League formula the formula of the Arab League as a as a power of uh, unification among the Arab it has no no rational basis really and it failed it's now the, the option is this economic integration trade the removal of tariffs the removal of restrictions the flow of trade and investment but of course, those uh, countries who so far uh, followed policy of what they call socialist uh, pattern, socialist style, have to open up and, uh, and uh, they in- introduce reform. Reform is the word. Whether Is this a road to political uh, reform, to democratization? Mm-hmm. Yes. I I just came from Morocco. I was leading a group of Kuwaiti uh, investors and we met in Tunisia, Algeria, and in Morocco, prime ministers, I spoke with them. I I don't want to say that uh, I would put democracy before economic prosperity. The, the priority for these countries is economic and uh, uh, progress and investment. As a road to liberalization and democratization. And we had to democratize in Kuwait because I told you the malignant, uh, the hard diplomacy and the failure of soft diplomacy and the malignant geography and uh, in these countries, uh, in Morocco, I saw, saw the thrust is really for survival. The thrust for improvement of in, in living standard. Uh, in a way, if, uh, if they are given choices between freedom of speech or, or improvement of, of life, they would choose improvement in life. And you are right. Now the a new map for uh, for Arab politics, the map which will which indicates and shows the the road to through trade, Arabs could come to understanding through investment, they come together. I and I felt it in Morocco. In Morocco, the, everybody was thankful. And, you built a dam, you did this, the road you, you, we are driving on is due to you. Well, this is what I call the joy of geology, having oil, having wealth, is this. And, uh, and in all fairness, uh, it, it, the Gulf is a very interesting area, it's a, it has a paradox, it, power the old power of, uh, the old school uh, is challenged in its own arena, in its whole area. Modernity is coming, and old school, like, like this, the ethos, uh, the rules of the tribes, and the affinity of tribe, among tribe members. So they, this, uh, this clash, this clash between the, the arrival of modernity, not only in houses and roads, but also in ideas and thoughts. Uh, is clashing, is interaction. We'll see, we'll wait to see the outcome. Back.
0: Uh, we're coming towards 8 o'clock, so does anyone else want to ask a question? I'll just take one final cluster. You two, and then you, and you as well. So if we start with, yeah, and then you, and then.
4: A, a couple of quick questions. First, uh, What proportion of uh, adult residents in uh, Kuwait have the vote and uh, do you see that changing? And also, can you see a time when Iraq will become a member of the GCC? Hi, uh, my name is Ali from uh, uh, Information Systems and Innovation Group. Um, One of the rhetorics of the Bush administration was uh, to uh, set Iraq as an example for democracy in the region. What do you think will uh, Kuwait uh, understand or take from this example that is currently set uh, as a result of the U.S. invasion of Iraq? Thank you. Right. Uh, If I may draw an analogy, sir, for you, between uh, India and Kuwait. We haven't really been being blessed by the best of neighbors, and neither do we have the gift of geology, but I think we've still managed to attain a reasonable amount of success in democracy. So do you think that the Kuwaiti experience has been so paralytic because uh, it did not allow political parties to exist, and because of this lack of grand coalitions, uh, which would allow uh, to allow a plural civil society to develop, and by only having by insisting on this tribal structure, and not allowing political parties, uh, Kuwait has opted for uh, for, for this paralysis.
0: i just get a microphone behind you.
2: Hi, um, you mentioned that Iran took uh, three islands from the UAE. I'm interested to know what the history of that is, because I wasn't aware of it. And also, why do you think Iran is a more dangerous? threat to the smaller Gulf regions than the ideological influence of Saudi Arabia or Egypt or Israel or America or anyone else? Why is Iran the, why do you see Iran as the prime ideological threat there?
1: Well, I, uh, I hope I won't forget. The uh, question of uh, Iraq membership, I, uh, I rule it out. Uh, the GC is, uh, is closed. The rule the, the charter doesn't enable uh, any none uh, any uh, any state which is none of the six only the six, and, uh, they, and I, I I I advocate and I a special relationship between uh, Iraq and the GCC, uh, something like the like the GCC relation or Yemen. It must be a privileged association between Iraq and, and uh, GCC. I also want to see more Iraqi role in regional understanding. I want to see Iraq more democratic. It's uh, the only, uh, Iraq is a mosaic and you know that. It's not, it cannot be ruled the, the way Saddam is saying, through butchery. Has to be by consensus, has to be by uh, persuasion and conviction, and by, uh, by the will of the, of, the, of the various sects and various walks of life in, in Iraq. Uh, so, but I, I have some, I am very optimistic on the future of Iraq, the normal Iraq ideology, he killed Iraq, deprived it of its power and potentials. Now on uh, on Iran and uh, the... India, uh, I was in India a few years ago and I spoke, I gave a speech in the Nero University on India and, uh, and Kuwait India, especially Kuwait. Uh, and they, you have to know that our forefathers uh, crossed Indian ocean by boats. And we built this merit, uh, maritime history of Kuwait. is is, is already recorded in, in history. And between India, it's, the India is, uh, opened the eyes of the Kuwaitis to life. And I have a, a great grandfather who immigrated to India and has Indian children. Do we, uh, how we, India has a huge population and has parties. And it's amazing that the Indian democracy, you know better, is a mixture of the elite, the the villager, the simple, the denied. And aristocratic. How it works, God knows. But, <laughs> but definitely one thing I, I you must admit that uh, there are election lords, and the lords, the election lords, tamper, no doubt, tamper with the, the. They have their own way, but they definitely. Uh, and it is bound it's a huge country I uh, I have but you know they, it's amazing the democracy of India has not really spilled over to its neighbor why well I, you have to ask yourself why because uh, India is tailored for India and uh, just the the landlords, the the maharaja power, the maharaja, the maharaja image. is powerful. That. But uh, uh, the
0: do I ask?
1: I influence. forget. The
0: UAE islands Saudi influence.
1: Ah, UAE island. Well, 1971, when the Britain decided to withdraw, they withdrew. They colluded with the, with the Shah to occupy the three islands. Well, it's written, I didn't uh, attribute any, anything to imagination. I, this is recorded that there was a collusion uh, by Britain to, to allow the Shah not to fight. And it's recorded, I was reading a book last week on that. So they took it, it's here, and, uh, there the islands. One of them is in, was inhabited, the two, no. So, and uh, they thought that, the UAE thought that after the Shah downfall there would be a more receptive uh, a receptive Iranian to the legitimate demand of the UAE. But it's not, it's the, the Iranians claim that uh, it's there. Now, the uh, Saudi so the influence the Kuwait invasion changed the Kuwait the landscape the political landscape and the psychology Saudi so uh, is the uh, is the backbone of of uh, regional gulf gcc uh, stability the Saudi influence is there and it's been historic. It's not, it's since time immemorial. You know. so the Saudi dynasty lived in Kuwait in 18, uh, after they lost Riyadh, they came to Kuwait. There is a special affinity between Kuwait and Saudi Arabia, between the rulers of Kuwait and the monarchy of Saudi Arabia. Their influence, yes. The Kuwaiti could not have been liberated without Saudi Arabia. I was in the GCC, I was second general. From its land, from its sea, and its, from its skies, and from its coffers. And uh, in uh, my final word is that uh, uh, you don't know uh, and you, maybe you never know how how the the uh, the invasion of any country leaves its imprint on the psychology and body politics of the nation. And in Kuwait, in Kuwait, well, they go by the, by the yardstick of who was with us, who is not, who was reluctant, who was playing, and who was deceptive, and who was misquerading as a friend. It's, uh, so, uh, Saudi, the, the balance, uh, there's a lot of wealth, a reservoir of goodwill in Kuwait for Saudi Arabia, in recognition. So it's, there is influence, but it's not, it's a prudent influence, it's not the influence that imposes its an influence, no doubt, because of the inter- interaction of the two, two nations, two peoples, the same origin, the same history, the same fate. So, thank you very much.
0: Um, thank you very much.